0: Their razors provide a smooth shave every time. And their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest Therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit slash gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's slash gold. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, gold and silver prices continue to march higher. Gold was up another 7 bucks today. It closed at $13.6320. That is the high for the year. Silver is now above $20 an ounce. It was up $0.15 cents at $20.06. You know, on Sunday night, before the 4th of July holiday here, silver prices actually got above 21 It got up to about $21.30 or $40 or something like that before there was some profit-taking. But we still are making significant progress on the year not only silver prices going up, but the silver price going up now relative to the price of gold, which I think is very bullish for the precious metals complex. You know, gold stocks are on fire. Uh, the XAU index, which is a gold stock index, uh, was up three and 3.27% today. It's now up better than 135% on the year. And more than that, I mean, well over 150%, from the lows uh, on the third week of January. But do you think anybody on Wall Street, any major players, any major investment houses have recommended that anybody buy gold stocks? Do you think any of the big hedge funds have any positions in gold stocks? No, they are clueless. You know, what is happening right now, and I've said this before, is that you've got this picture that's kind of blurry, but it's coming into focus, but it's still not yet clear, and it's a game-changer. Because the image in everybody's mind up until now, or it's still in their mind, was that we had this great recovery, or at least a recovery, and that the Fed was going to be able to unwind its balance sheet, normalize interest rates, and everything was going to be great. So the whole investment world was preparing for higher rates and a stronger dollar and a stronger U.S. economy. But what is the world that we actually are living in? What is the actual picture rather than the one that they fantasized? The actual picture is an economic recovery that is actually already over, if it ever existed, that the Fed has finished tightening, and they're about to start a new easing campaign, that we're not done with QE. We're just getting started. QE3 is closer to the beginning than the end. We're about to do QE4 we may even go to negative interest rates and rather than shrinking the balance sheet it's about to explode it's going to go much much higher and so this picture is beginning to you know come into clarity and now you're starting to see the markets repricing where gold is going up every day gold stocks going up the banks are getting crushed the european banks again today new lows uh, on the year new lows on the decade they're getting crushed and people are now starting to realize this. The Federal Reserve today, the FOMC minutes came out for June. And what did the minutes reveal? Oh, what a shocker that the uh, members were concerned about the weakening employment numbers and that they wanted more data before raising rates. They wanted to make sure that the weakening numbers were an aberration and rather than the beginning of a new trend. Well, who didn't see that coming? Also, They said that they wanted to wait and see what happened with the Brexit vote, right? They thought it made sense not to raise rates before the Brexit vote. Let's just wait until we receive the results. Well, you know, the Brexit vote was something that we knew about all year. Earlier in the year, in March and April, when everybody was so convinced that the Fed was going to raise rates in June, we all knew that that was a couple of weeks before the Brexit vote. Yet people assumed that they were going to do it anyway, But now the Fed admits, well, we don't want to raise rates until we know the results of Brexit. Well, then why were they pretending for so long that they were going to raise rates in June? Why did they allow the market to believe that a rate hike was coming when they had already acknowledged that they wanted a rate to see the Brexit results before they made a decision? Because they liked the market believing that they were going to raise rates because it validates the phony recovery. It validates the narrative that they're trying to create that they can actually raise them. You know, this is really all they're doing. It's not raising rates. It's talking about raising rates. That's, you know, everybody keeps saying that, well, the Fed doesn't have any more uh, room to cut. Because normally when there's a recession that starts, the Fed cuts rates. And since they never really raised them, they can't cut them. Well, what they did is talk about raising them, and so instead of raising rates, they spoke about raising them, and now the way they can cut rates is by speaking about not raising them or speaking about reducing them because that's their new policy. It's all talking because they can't actually do anything because we're that broke and we have that much debt. So the new tightening is we talk about why we're going to raise rates, but we don't actually do it and completely destroy the economy. And then when the economy slips back into recession, now we can talk about not raising rates and then we can talk about cutting rates. And those are actual cuts before they get to the real cut, right? So they can do a lot of things as far as adjusting their rhetoric before they actually cut rates, which they are ultimately going to do at some point. But by backtracking, They are already effectively cutting because given how weak the economic data is, had the Fed successfully raised interest rates a few years ago to a higher level, they would already be cutting them, right? They would be cutting them right now, given all the economic things that are happening, what's happening in the the markets, the Fed would be cutting rates, but it can't cut rates. So it's doing the next best thing. It's not talking about raising them anymore. It's softening its rhetoric because that's all you've got, right? You never – Teddy Roosevelt was speak softly and carry a big stick. Well, the Fed is the opposite. It's speak loudly because you have no stick. And the last thing you want to admit is that you don't have a stick because if people know you don't have a stick, then you're impotent. And there's no place where the Fed is more impotent than inflation. And in fact, Marty Feldstein wrote this op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. And basically, he somehow says that there's method to the Fed's madness, that maybe they know what they're doing, which, of course, they don't, and that what their goal is, is not to raise rates until inflation gets to 3 percent, not 2 percent, but 3 percent. Now, why 3 percent? Well, because then, according to Marty Feldstein, the Fed can actually raise rates to 3 percent, short-term rates, and still not have positive rates. Because the Fed doesn't really want higher rates, so it needs higher inflation first, And then it can raise nominal rates without actually raising real rates but one of the problems i think that that feldstein doesn't seem to understand is that even if inflation is officially at three percent right and it's probably much higher than that anyway right now but even when it gets to officially three percent the fed still can't raise rates to three percent because the total value of the debt is so enormous that the debtors can't afford to make the higher payments even if there's more inflation so the fed can't do it plus of course how can they target 3% as if they can actually stop the inflation from rising beyond 3%, which they can't, because in order to get inflation to go back down when it's running higher, you need to get in front of it. So if inflation is 3% and you just make interest rates 3%, that's not going to stop it. You need to go to 4 or 5%. You need to get out in front of it to bend that curve. And of course, that's an impossibility. But also, uh, one of the other things that he's overlooking is, you know, According to Feldstein, the Fed will not lose credibility at 3% inflation because even though they have this 2% target, that it's not actually a ceiling. And so what he says the Fed can do, and I actually agree with him because I think they're going to do this because I've been saying this the whole time. What Feldstein said the Fed will do to preserve its credibility on allowing inflation to go to 3% but not tightening is the Fed will say, look, it wasn't a ceiling. 2% is kind of an average that we shoot for. And since we were below 2% for so many years, well, now we can be above 2% for several years, because it'll all average out, right? If you have three years of 1% inflation, and then you have three years of 3% inflation, well, that's six years at 2%, and that's our goal, right? So they think the Fed will get away with it. but remember. The the reason that the Fed is able to get away with saying that we have a 2% inflation goal, it's to buy insurance supposedly against deflation, right? The reason that 1% inflation is supposedly bad is because it's so low that it might go negative, right? The Fed is trying to have a 2% inflation rate to create some distance between zero and where you are because they don't want to slip, heavens forbid, into deflation where the consumer gets a break. You know, where the cost of living actually goes down. Like, we don't want to let that happen. So, we need to take out some insurance against the lower cost of living by making sure the cost of living increases by at least 2%. But if inflation is at 3%, you don't need that insurance, right? If you had three years of 1%, you never got deflation. So, you dodged the bullet. And now, if you got 3%, what 's the justification for keeping it there just so it can average out to two? it doesn't make any sense because you avoided deflation when you when it stayed at one percent, and now that it 's at three percent, you, you wouldn't want to keep it there you 've got a lot of room between three percent and zero. so the whole thing doesn 't make sense because if the Fed admits that they want an average of two percent, then they have to also admit that it was never about deflation insurance. they actually want inflation they don 't care about trying to prevent deflation they actually want inflation they want to make sure there's inflation regardless of the boogeyman of deflation but of course they're not going to get away with this three percent nonsense because number one it won't stay at three percent because it's going to get higher and what's going to do it is going to be the crash of the dollar and that hasn't happened yet and so far what's saving the dollar is the pound right and all of the uncertainty that was unleashed. And again, I said in an earlier podcast, Brexit is the catalyst. This is not what is causing everything. The, the, this was a powder keg. This was a house of cards, literally, uh, created by the central banks. And you had all kinds of leverage bets in this system. And they're all, they're all unraveling. That's what's going on right now because Brexit ended up being the pin that pricked that bubble. But the pin is not the problem. It's the bubble that was the problem. It didn't matter what the pin was, and if it was Brexit, okay. But under normal circumstances with healthy markets, it wouldn't even matter whether the UK was part of the EU or not. Who cares? I mean, maybe the British care, but it's not that big a deal. But what is a big deal is the speculative leverage bubble That is popping because people are starting to worry about the implications of Brexit on this big, gigantic bubble economy. And that is why you're seeing the most carnage in the banks and you're seeing this huge flight to Treasury bonds where the yields are collapsing. You know, the yield on the 10 year Treasury was actually slightly higher today, but it got as low as one point three, three six. I mean, give me a break. Ten years? I mean, that's way below even the Fed's or the government's version of inflation. So you talk about huge negative yields. And of course, the strongest currency on the planet is the Japanese yen, which continues to rise every day. The only currency rising faster than the yen is gold or silver now, rising even faster than gold. But that's not currency. That's money. The currencies are money substitutes. But apparently the best substitute for real money is the Japanese yen. But obviously, anybody who knows anything about Japan, clearly Japan is not the safe haven, right? But it is a big funding currency and where you see the manifestation of the unraveling of these carry trades. And that is what the dollar is getting caught up in. That is what treasuries are getting caught up in. But when the dust settles and more people focus on the game changer, what the Fed has now admitted, right, the Fed is no longer tightening. The tightening cycle is over. It's done. It was one and done. I was 100% right on that. I said if the Fed raised interest rates, they would do it once and only once, and that would be the end of the tightening cycle, not the beginning, and that is exactly what happened. We are now at the easing cycle, and the earlier stage of the easing cycle is the talk, right? Before the Fed actually cuts rates, first they start talking about not raising them or raising them later in the future, and then eventually they talk about keeping them steady, or then having a bias to cutting them, or whatever. But the but the easing rhetoric has already begun, and that is what is being priced in in the precious metals market. It's started priced in in the mining stocks, and it's going to be priced in in the currency markets. You know, even with the collapse in the pound and all the uncertainty, the dollar index is still only at 96. That is not strong. The dollar did not make new highs. The euro barely went down. Why didn't the euro get crushed uh, based on this? Because that's how weak the dollar is. The dollar has already rallied for years based on a lie, based on a false understanding of the true state of the U.S. economy and the direction of Fed monetary policy, interest rates, quantitative easing, all that. And so the Fed, the dollar rather, really did not rally as a result of... Of Brexit. And so the next thing that's going to happen is it's going to fall and it's going to fall hard. And that is going to, you know, really unravel uh, this this paradigm, because right now people are still in the dollar for trade. It's not a safe haven. Yeah, they want to explain it that way. But most of the people who are looking at what's happening in the financial markets have no idea what's going on. They're, they're, they're not making money. They're getting creamed. They're losing a bunch of money this year. This is, again, the worst year for professional investors in 18 years, maybe more. Hedge funds are blowing up left and right. Everybody is underperforming. And why? Because nothing that's happening makes sense to them. But everything that is happening makes sense to me. Because this is what I expected to happen, and it's only the beginning. The difference is that I expected it years ago. It just took longer than i thought to begin to unfold the rest of the investment community never understood it and they still don't and they're only gradually starting to connect the dots you know the people who were making money uh in the u.s stock market and again there hasn't been much money made in the broad stock market in the last couple of years but people did make some money in 2013 and 2014 right based on this false belief in a strong dollar and a good U.S. economy, and people like me who properly understood that this was a bubble, that the Fed was bluffing, that it either had no intention or no ability to actually deliver on the rate hikes that it was uh, promising, we were the ones that were losing money. But the people who were wrong were the ones that were making money. But they weren't making money because they were right They were making money because they had the numbers. Because if you have almost everybody wrong, if everybody believes something that's wrong and they invest their money based on that wrong belief, then the price of what they are buying is going to go up, right? Because it's all a numbers game. If you have everybody thinking one thing and they all invest based on that premise, then prices are going to be set based on that misinformation. That happens in every bubble. Think about all the dot-com stocks in 1998, 1999 that were priced at these ridiculous sky-high numbers. Why were they priced so high? Because all the people buying them believed that these companies, even though they didn't actually have any profits, would eventually have profits. People believed in the, the new paradigm, and so they bid up these stocks to reflect those beliefs. The beliefs were wrong. But it didn't stop the stock prices from going up because so many people held those beliefs. And maybe for a while there were people who believed that the beliefs were wrong and they shorted the stocks. But as the stocks kept going up, because the number of people who believed the nonsense far outnumbered the people who didn't believe it, well, they, 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 you know, they got forced out of the market. The markets were irrational longer than they were solvent, and they covered their shorts. And so the people who were wrong were the people who were making money. The people who were right were the ones who were losing money, at least on paper. But eventually, the truth comes out. All the people who were wrong discover they were wrong. And then the market quickly replaces the asset, in which case, if it's a dot-com stock, it collapses. Right? That's what's going on now. All the people who were betting on the U.S., betting on the Fed, betting on the recovery— Betting that Bernanke was a hero and Janet Yellen was a genius. All the people who swallowed that line, who were betting on that line, were wrong. And now they're surrendering all the profits that they thought they made. And believe me, we are early. We are early in this process. So many people still don't get it. And the people like me who knew, who knew all along that the people who were making money on paper were wrong because they just didn't get it. They mistake. They had mistaken a bubble for a recovery. They didn't understand the real nature of the problem. They never did, which is why they didn't see the 2008 financial crisis coming. And because they didn't see that one coming, they didn't understand the dynamics that created it. And so they didn't see that all those dynamics were not only still in play, but had been expanded by the Fed. So people like me, who look back and knew how it was going to end, We were the ones that for several years were not making money or were losing money on paper because the value of the things we were buying was going down because not that many people were smart enough to buy those things because they were all dumb enough to chase all the other things. And so now, as the reality is coming clean, all the stocks and all the positions that I've been buying the last few years, they're skyrocketing. And the positions that other people were buying have collapsed or are going sideways. And again, this is just the beginning. Ultimately, the fundamentals are going to vindicate everybody who was right and who was early, and they're going to punish everybody who was wrong, but who temporarily made money simply because everybody else was wrong too. And there are strength in numbers, but the numbers, it's a two-way sword. Because once all those numbers who were wrong discover they were wrong, and now they want to correct that mistake. They want to reverse their positions and they want to do it at the same time. Everybody wants to squeeze through a tiny little door all at the same time. You know, imagine when all the big investors who don't own any gold or don't own any gold stocks, when they finally decide they want to buy, <laughs> you know, where are the price is going to be? What's going to happen with all the people who are piling into the dollar when suddenly they want to get out? And of course, the currencies that they're going to want to buy are not going to be these other gigantic currencies. Uh, that have other problems, but the smaller economies, the sound economies, the true safe havens that are being overlooked, because people are concentrating on the U.S., which they think is a safe haven, which is not safe at all. It's only safe because people perceive it to be safe, and they only perceive it to be safe because they're fools. They don't understand just how risky the safe haven currency actually is. But when those risks are perceived, and other everybody kind of comes to that conclusion you're going to see a big on one. Right now, again, Brexit has taken the headlines. People are worried about Europe. And so that, again, that distracts people's attention from what's going on in the United States. Now, we do get a big employment number coming out on Friday. And so here's the deal there. If we get a strong number, they're looking for 180,000 jobs. And who knows? you You think these numbers could be heavily manipulated. I mean, we've had two really bad numbers in a row. If we got a third number, it would really be, you know, three strikes and you're out. Uh, I mean, the dollar would tank. I think gold will be over 1,400 on Friday, uh, maybe, maybe quite a bit over if we have a really weak jobs number. But even if we get a strong number, I think they're looking for 180,000 jobs. Of course, if it's strong, it'll just be superficially strong. We'll still have people leaving the labor force. We'll still be destroying full-time jobs and replacing them with uh, part-time jobs. Younger people, People 55 and younger will still be leaving the workforce. All the jobs will be going to people 55 and over, right? Those trends aren't going to change. The the baby boom is coming out of retirement because they're broke or they're delaying their retirement. And younger people are still not even entering the labor force or they're losing their jobs and they're moving back in with their parents. Regardless of whether we create 180,000 payroll jobs or or 20,000, those trends are still going to be there. And again, nobody cares. But if the headline number is actually strong, I don't even think it's going to matter. I don't even think that the dollar is going to catch a bit on that. I don't think it's going to hurt gold. I think gold goes up regardless of what the payroll number is on Friday. Because I think the markets are now perceiving that these numbers don't matter. That the Fed is no longer looking for data to raise rates. They're looking for data to cut them. If they were going to raise rates, they'd have already done it. The time to do that is long past. And we'll see. If we get a strong number on Friday, and gold rallies anyway and uh, the dollar tanks or sells off anyway, then that'll, that'll prove that thesis. But on the other hand, if the number is weak and we have three bad job numbers in a row, Then I think people are now going to really start talking more about stimulus and the need for stimulus and a rate cut. And, of course, they're also going to be talking about some kind of fiscal stimulus. The government needs to spend more money. Right. That's the problem. And, of course, that's what Paul Krugman is going to say. That's why it didn't work. Right. That's why it wasn't because it was the wrong medicine. It just wasn't enough of it. And, you know, they're going to believe that in Washington. They're going to believe that at the Fed, because to believe anything else would just tear their world apart, because then they would have to admit that they're wrong, and they never want to do that. And, of course, since the real solutions involve less government, cutting government spending, right, and, and being the bearer of bad news to the people who are benefiting from that spending. Since the right thing to do is take the punch bowl away uh, from the drunken partygoers on Wall Street, nobody wants to do that. No one wants to admit that that's the real excuse. So being able to say, you know what, we just need more. We're doing the right thing. We just need more stimulus. We need more alcohol. We need a bigger party. And in fact, we're gonna invite more people to the party who might've missed it because just in case you didn't benefit from the last round of quantitative easing, you're gonna benefit from this new round because now we're gonna have quantitative easing for the masses, for the people. Bernie Sanders style. Right. We're going to have real uh, make work, old fashioned Keynesian pump priming. You never those stimulus checks that George Bush sent out in the waning days of his administration. Well, you know what? I think some uh, uh, stimulus checks might be in the mail uh, in time for the uh, November elections to help put Hillary Clinton, who, by the way, I guess I totally forgot about that. But if you didn't see the press conference from the FBI, which if that didn't make you sick, right? Basically, you listen to his talk about Hillary Clinton and how she did all these bad things. I mean, she sent out top secret emails and secret emails and classified emails uh, from her personal cell phone and her personal server, and not only, not only from the United States, but she utilized that tele- cell phone and that server in foreign countries. that Some of them that were hostile to the United States, I mean, I, I, she totally jeopardized national security and who knows how many top secret emails you know are now in the hands of enemies because of uh the recklessness of Hillary clinton and the the guy is saying yes what she did was bad this is bad stuff she never should have done it but then after listing all the bad things, and it proves that she lied because before she went out and said, well, yes, I used it, but I never used any classified information. I never did send sent any classified emails. Well, that's a lie. right? She did. The FBI said, yeah, she did. She sent plenty of classified uh, emails uh, from her personal server, a personal uh, uh, cell phone, and personal server. But first of all, Forget about that. All that, all those emails should have been done on the government server. So we'd have access to it. You get a freedom of information request. You know what the government is doing. I mean, they have to do that. I mean, I, me, if I did what Hillary Clinton did, I would be kicked out of the brokerage industry. I would be, I would be barred. Right. Because I, you, know, you, we have rules. We have to, I have to send all my emails that go to clients have to go from my, Corporate account. I can't send an email to a customer from a personal account. Why? Because the regulators need to review all the correspondences. They don't have access to my personal email. So if I'm going to contact a customer, I can only do it from my official email account. So the regulators have access to it. And so my firm, theoretically, my own compliance officers, the compliance officers review all the emails. They have to make sure that there's no violations of rules. If I'm emailing clients from my personal account, they can't review it, right? So I, all my brokers know that they, they, they can't email clients from their personal accounts. And if we catch them doing that, they could get fired. Well, what's the discipline for Hillary Clinton, Secretary of State? She's supposed to do all of her emails using her official account and she's not doing that what's the penalty you know I mean she should have to give back her salary she should I mean she she shouldn't even be able to claim that she was a former Secretary of State she should be retroactively fired and asked to refund her money at a minimum because she didn't do her job you know and and this is something the guy from the um, FBI said that well there's no evidence to suggest that she was deliberately doing anything wrong well is she an idiot then I mean didn't she how could she not know? that what she was doing was wrong. I mean, because if she really didn't know, then how can you say she's qualified to be the president of the United States? I mean, she's she's that dumb, right? Because I'm sure she was told, too, that you need to use your, your uh, official accounts, especially when it comes to the top secret stuff, right? If she really is that dumb, should she be the commander in chief of the United States? Should she get a promotion, right, from her last job? When she was incompetent and she was grossly negligent at a a minimum, should she now be promoted to president of the United States? I mean, this is ridiculous. But of course, the rule is not about did she know it was if you're still grossly negligent, you still did something wrong. I mean, at a minimum, it's some kind of a misdemeanor. I mean, although maybe it's a felony. I'm sure there have been government officials who have done less stuff than this, who have been charged with crimes. But Hillary Clinton, I guess, is above the law. Because you know the Obama Justice Department isn't going to try to indict or charge their nominee. Although you know they might actually have a better shot at the White House. Although I mean, look, most people think Hillary's a shoe in but you know Joe Biden might even be a better, uh, a, a, an easier victory. So maybe you know, I mean, maybe it wouldn't actually hurt the Democrats to indict Hillary and get her off the ticket. Because she does have a lot of problems, but apparently in the polls now she's ahead of Clinton, ahead of Trump, so maybe that's one of the reasons that they don't want to risk changing horses. But the whole thing is rigged. If you look at it, uh, I mean, it should be a disgrace to show that these, you know, some government uh, um, individuals are above the law. That we're not a nation of, of of laws. That we're a nation of men, and certain men and women uh, can break the laws with impunity if you have the right connections. And I don't even believe that Hillary Clinton um had did had no knowledge she obviously is a smart enough woman to know that what she did was wrong but she did it deliberately for a reason what was the reason because she wanted to send communications that she didn't want people to know about she didn't want the government to know about it why well, there's a whole lot of reasons, but probably there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of uh, influence peddling, a lot of stuff going on with the Clinton Foundation, with her husband, with the speeches that she's giving, with the with the uh, deals that she's sponsoring. I mean, there's a lot of uh, pay for play. There are a lot of kickbacks. There was a lot of shenanigans going on, and Hillary Clinton wanted to do it in secret. That's what she did. And then she got caught, and then she claims, oh, well, I didn't know. And then, of course, nothing happens to her. And who knows? You know, there are obviously some things that got destroyed, some things that we're never going to see. I'm sure it's a lot worse uh, than the FBI actually knows. Yet the FBI is is, is, is trying to claim that no reasonable prosecutor would take this case. I think that's a bunch of BS. I think a lot of cases that are a lot flimsier than this one with a lot less evidence end up being prosecuted. And the reason this one is not being prosecuted is because her name is Hillary Rodham Clinton, and 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 that's it. And of course, she's the the Democratic nominee uh, for president. And if she was this bad as the Secretary of State, if she was this corrupt, and she's this corrupt as a candidate, just imagine, imagine the level of corruption in a Clinton White House once she gets to the to the to the height of power. Just imagine. I mean, up to this point, I think the most corrupt um, president was Lyndon Johnson. I bet that Hillary Clinton beats him i bet as bad as lyndon johnson was i bet i bet she's worse you know if you ever watch a house of cards i mean frank underwood i mean she's probably worse than frank underwood and uh lyndon johnson and the reality is she may be our next president and you know it, it might be very fitting though for this whole house of cards to come collapsing on her watch Uh, And and maybe maybe she could take the blame and, and all of her predecessors and the whole Democratic machine when this thing comes collapsing down, because I don't see there's any way that we can elect Hillary Clinton. And this this country goes for four years without a major, major implosion. And it's going to be pretty hard for her to blame it on George Bush when it follows eight years of Barack Obama and it happens on Hillary's watch.
1: Today's financial advisors behave like pro wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control.